I hope you found it um, somewhat of a, a stimulating um, exercise where you had to go over uh, things that perhaps you hadn't gone over before or thought about or put in order or what have you. But what I want to do tonight is, is uh, give you some more input about developing a testimony. And I, and I want you to remember that what we're doing here is trying to craft uh, an evangelistic tool that might be usable to you to become um, uh, more intentional about um, sharing Christ with those who the Lord puts in your sphere of influence. Um, at least I hope it will be to that end. Um, I, I wonder if you know the story of John 9. Um, I, I know you've heard this preached before, but the, I'm just going to tell you the story that's contained in John 9. It's about this, uh, this young man who was born blind, and uh, Jesus gave him his sight back. And as a result of getting his sight back, um, the Jews really got uncomfortable with that, called him in and interrogated him, and... Um, uh, we're asking him all these kind of questions, and then they, uh, you know, he kind of got sassy with them at one point. That is, the um, the the newly seeing young man got kind of sassy with the Jewish leaders, and and so finally they called his parents in, and um, you know, his parents they asked, they quizzed his parents about is this your son? Yeah, that's our son. I mean, uh, do you know that he's was he blind? Yeah, he was blind. Um, how did he get his sight? We don't know. Um, we, we we didn't do it, and and then. Um, on what, as the as the event or the episode concludes, um, this this newly seeing young man, um, they're still trying to get him to fall into some kind of linguistic trap, I guess. Um, and he says this. <clears throat> he answered and said, "Whether he is a sinner, I do not know." That is, they're they're talking about Jesus. I mean. Well, I must have been a sinner that healed you like that. Well, uh, he said, well, I, well, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. <laughs> what a simple and a sweet testimony for, for Jesus Christ. You know, um, I can't answer all your questions. I don't know the answers to all your questions. But this much I do know. I used to be blind, but I see now. And, and that's something, ladies and gentlemen, that the world has no argument in reply to. Um, I used to be blind, but I'm not blind anymore. I see now. So what we're trying to do this evening is, um, is add some content to that I see. I used to be blind, but now I see we want to try to add some content to that, all right? So that's, our, that's the task in front of us this evening. Um, a, a testimony is, uh, you know, we're in this little two-week testimony project. This is the last one, and we'll move on next week. But um, a testimony is simply telling what Jesus Christ has come to mean to you. Um, I had one man um, uh, send me his testimony via email. Um, <laughs> it was, um, it was quite a good testimony. Uh, unfortunately it was only 14 words. Um, and he said, um, I was saved when I was 25 because I was lost and needed a savior. Thank you. And good evening. <laughs> Ron Goss, no one will ever ask you to give your testimony. 
because we schedule about 10 minutes for those things, and, and yours would take about 15 seconds. Maybe not that long. But what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to add some content to a, a, very, um, a very pure and, and, um, and simple statement, but we need, to, we need to beef it up a bit. Now, guys, but if you can't say that, what I just read you, Ron said, I was saved when I was 25 because I was lost and I needed a savior. If you can't say that, then you're not an evangelist. What you are is an evangelistic field. If, um, if you tried to come up with some kind of testimony this week and could not do that, then something is, is um, sadly amiss. Now, guys, um, if a testimony is simply telling what somebody else, what, other, what Jesus Christ has come to mean to you, if, if that's true... Then, then one of the things that's so essential in my doing that is an assurance of my own standing. If you don't know where you stand, then how can you tell anybody else where to stand? Um, I, I think one of the things that shuts the mouths of more Christians is that they, they struggle with their own sense of assurance. I'm not real sure that I'm, you know, safe. And so why am I going to be involved in telling anybody else when I'm not sure of myself? So guys, if, if that's um, somehow the problem, let's, let's just start tonight by talking about this whole issue of assurance. Because um, it's kind of a fundamental, I mean, it, it, it kind of loosens your tongue and kind of sets you free to say things that you wouldn't be free to say otherwise if you're, if you're constantly wondering whether you're a safe person yourself. Guys, let me, let me just spend 10 of your minutes just talking about assurance real quickly because I, I do think that a lot of people in the evangelical world struggle with assurance, but assurance is not a quiet conscience. Um, Michael Bloomberg has a quiet conscience. If you know who Michael Bloomberg is, he's the ex-mayor of New York City. And I think you might have seen that thing that was shipped around last week by Richard Loon, where um, he's 72 years old and he's beginning to feel his own mortality. And he was asked about his, um, his eternal hopes. And I don't know by whom, uh, but um, he made the statement that, you know, if there is a God, when I get to the gate, they're not even going to check my credentials because I'm going to go straight on in because of all the wonderful things that I've done. Now, that man is a man who's got some wonderful assurance. Unfortunately, um, it's not going to do him nor anybody else. Just because my, my conscience is quiet, it doesn't necessarily mean that I, I mean, I can call that assurance. Assurance, guys, is a, is a gift that all of us as Christians ought to seek. Um, though it is not an essential part of, uh, of the Christian message. The Bible does not say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and have assurance and thou shalt be saved. Now, I, I'm going to tell you in a minute that I think, I hope you do have assurance, but, but guys, it is not an essential part of the Christian message. Um, but it is something that I hope you all have. Um, did you know, by the way, that, that Roman Catholicism denounces evangelicalism um, or Protestantism for their emphasis on assurance? calling it a damnable and pernicious heresy. 
The whole idea of assurance in Roman Catholicism um, is considered a heresy and is called presumption on our parts. Now, guys, um, what is presumptuous about resting my whole hope of eternity on the finished work of Jesus Christ? How could that be presumptuous? Do you understand, do you, do you know why Roman Catholicism calls assurance presumptuous? Because Roman Catholicism insists that you contribute in your own um, uh, ongoing morality, and who could ever know whether they've done enough morality? So therefore, to say that you're confident in your standing with God would be presumptuous. Yeah, that's perfectly consistent with their whole theological position. But if, if the gospel says to, to, to lean on Christ and Christ only, then it's not presumptuous to simply say, that's what I'm doing. Um, I am, I'm not wondering about have I done enough because I am confident that Jesus Christ has done enough for me. Um, let me point this out too, guys. Um, my mother um, was, was someone who I, I think a person can have saving faith and be and be genuinely be, or genuinely belong to God, but never have assurance. That's that's unfortunate, but it's a possibility. Uh, you may be genuinely committed to Jesus Christ and never enjoy assurance. Maybe because you were taught that you're not supposed to. I don't know. Um, uh, that's um. It's a very uncomfortable position to be in, uh, and I, I'm addressing it because I hope that you can come to the position of being assured in your own salvation so that you might open your mouth and tell other people about that. But anyway, this assurance thing, guys, is, is precious for a couple of reasons. It's precious because of the peace that it does grant, but it's also, I, I think, so um, needful because of the, the productivity that it, that it produces. Let me explain what I mean. Um, let's say, now how did that, that is a straight line right there. And look up there. There's a, there's a devil in this machine. I am not drunk, and I've drawn a straight line here. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. All right, let's say that um, my daddy dies, and he, um, he has 20 acres of land, and he gives, he wills to my sister and me 10 acres of identical property. They're, they're side by side. They're identical pieces of land um, in terms of uh, topography and, and uh, earth samples and all that. It's identical. Now, my sister immediately sets about to, to weed it and, and plow it and plant it and cultivate it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, on the other hand, am somewhat of a skeptic about this whole thing. So I go down to the, uh, the uh, trust department or the, no, not the trust, the title department down there at the wherever, and I continue to search for the title and to make sure that this really is mine. Now, come harvest season, which one of us do you think is going to have more produce? 
Now, guys, um, I'm saying to you that the, the one with assurance is the one that's the most productive. He's the mo- he bears the most fruit. So assurance is, is um, very desirable in terms of the, only, uh, the, the peace that it affords, but it also turns Christians into more productive people in terms of kingdom uh, output. So it's something that I, I would encourage you and would long for you to pursue and seek. It is a gift of grace that God grants, and, and, and I hope you've got it. Um, let me say this. There are three grounds of assurance. Three grounds of assurance. Um, the, the first one is the inward testimony of the Holy Spirit. You know the passage in Romans 8 that says, uh, um, uh, uh, the Spirit testifies with my spirit and cries out, Abba, Father, I'm the Son of God. Okay, The inward testimony of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes when you come to church, you should leave on Sunday mornings thinking, I am glad to be a part of this thing called the kingdom of God. I, and, I, and I feel like the Spirit has testified to my spirit that I belong to him. That ought to happen. Another grounds for assurance is a changed life. You know, um, now that I do claim to be um, a believer, what kinds of uh, differences has this made in my whole life? The other thing, the other grounds of assurance are the promises of God in his word. Now, guys, um, of those three grounds of assurance, which one of those would you say is the least reliable? What? B? A, because this is so subjective. Um, You know, that thing that I'm calling my quietude and serenity, it may be a, a good night's sleep. Or the thing that I'm calling my lack of serenity may be dyspepsia for all. I'm, but um, this, is, this is subjective. Now, of the other two, which one do you think is the least reliable? The changed life. Because Mormons have a changed life. Have you ever known a, a, a non-Christian to stop drinking? Happens all the time. Non-Christians stop smoking. Non-Christians start running, stop running around on their wives. Their lives change because of whatever factors. But the, the most reliable grounds of Scripture, of, of um, assurance, are the promises of God and his word. And, and this is how you reason with the promises of God. You reason, maybe you never heard this term. Um, I wonder if there's two L's. Um, syllogistically. You reason syllogistically on the, on the promises of God. Um, here's what I mean. The promises of God are, um, is uh, he who believes is saved. Um, believes um, uh, equals saved. Um, I believe. Then the conclusion is I'm saved. That's a syllogism, ladies and gentlemen. They use it in in courts of law all the time. They're trying to reason through their cases. They start with a major premise, a minor premise, and a conclusion. 
But I'm doing that with the promises of God. I'm taking the promises of God and I'm saying, all right, what is the major premise? The major premise says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's the major premise. What's the minor premise? Minor premise is, well, you know, I believe. Um, and then what's the conclusion? The conclusion is, I'm a saved man. Um, now, now, guys, um, um, this is more reliable than any of this, although they are legitimate grounds of assurance. Um, <clears throat> this, is, this is based on something outside of me. This is based on something inside of me, and this is something based on something that it's about me. But this is the thing that you're looking for. Um, how, how does my life measure up to the promises that God has made me or the promises that I find in his word? Guys, um, having arrived at assurance, you might find that your tongue is loosened more to talk about who you are in Christ. Now, let me, I've got 14 more minutes. Let, let me talk to you about this kind of the how-to's of a testimony, guys. There are, there are three component parts. I'm, 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 you know, if I knew how to work this thing, I could, I could erase it and get another page. But I don't know how to work this thing. So I've got to do everything down in this little space that I got left. So um, one of these days when we get a simpler one, uh, I'll know how to do this. But three component parts, ladies and gentlemen. Now, what did you write this week? I, I, I mean, if you wrote anything. Take what you wrote and kind of see if you see these three component parts in it, okay? The first component, I mean, you can call it A, B, C if you like. First component part is um, there needs to be some description of what my life was. Um, Or my life before I met Jesus Christ. Um, Now, guys... um, I don't know whether you've ever been to, to a, um, a service where a testimony was given where the emphasis seems to be made or seems to land on just how wicked I was. And the more the wicked, the better off the, the testimony. Whoa, you did that. Whoa. Don't, don't, don't do that. In fact, folks, if, if I mean, th- this, is, this is just an opinion on my part, but if you want to um, schedule out your time, this ought to be 10% of it. Um, you can speak in generalities. Uh, we, don't, we don't need to be, you know, let's just say you were, um, um, let's just say you were an adulterer. Well, okay, that, you don't need to tell the details of that. Uh, we don't need the specifics. Uh, telling, the, you know, or you were really into heroin and how many people got killed as a result. You know, we don't need that. Um, and we don't need a travel log. I was born in, in Melbourne, Australia. When I, was, when I was three, we moved to the States. And, and I went to a junior high school in, in San Francisco. We don't need that. We simply need a little bit about who you were and what life was like before you met Christ. And that ought to occupy, if you're going to spend 10 minutes, that ought to occupy the first minute. Um, just give me some sense of what life was like before you met Jesus Christ. And then you come to be. And that is, how did I meet this Savior? Remember last week, I was, we, we looked at that, that Revelation chapter 12 passage, and I said um, that, that the, um, 
that they pled the blood of the lamb. Well, ladies and gentlemen, in B Park, there's a lot of blood because there ought to be a whole lot of emphasis on God, what he's done, the emphasis is on Christ and his his, uh, work for me. Um, How did God bring you to see that salvation was by grace and not by works? How did he do that for you? How did he bring you to the place where you finally realize that my efforts at trying to save myself have gone for naught? Um, And the emphasis, beware of um, too many first-person singular pronouns. I. Well, I did this, and that happened, I did this. All the emphasis ought to be on what God did to bring you to himself. Um, how did he demonstrate to you uh, that your self-salvation project was failing and would fail and that what you really needed was a savior? Now, guys, uh, what I was before I met, how I met Christ, this, this part really troubles a lot of believers in the sense that some people don't know when this happened. I do. I became a Christian when I was 22. It was in September of 1970. My wife and I became Christians on the same night, on the same living room floor. Um, but may I comfort you if you don't know when, you're, when you became a Christian? I mean, some people sneak into the kingdom, um, and they wake up one day and they say, you know what, everything that I hear, from, that's who I am. I don't know when this happened, and I don't necessarily need to know. I, I know a dear woman, and many of you know her, uh, and who, who once said to me, if you do not know when you were saved, you are not saved. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not so. The New Testament describes conversion in lots of different metaphors, but one of the metaphors it uses is a bride and a bridegroom. Now, do you remember when you were married? I hope you do. Um, uh, it also uses this metaphor. It calls it a new birth. Do you remember when you were born? I hope you don't. But some of us do have a date. Some of us, and, and I'll say this, those of us who do have a date find assurance a whole lot easier because we can look back and we can see, I mean, somebody... I was saying to somebody tonight, um, uh, it was talking about my college days, and, and, um, and I said, well, let me just say this. I was an SAE, and, and Sharon Oates said, well, that tells me everything. Um, well, I said, just take that and double it, and that's what I was. Well, I can see that, that line of demarcation, because you maybe not can see that, um, Martin Lloyd-Jones has a book entitled Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Its Cures. Listen to that. Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Its Cures. And the very first chapter is addressed to people who do not know the date on which or in which, the period in which they became Christians. Because you struggle because you don't see that line. Guys, very frankly, I still bear the scars of my college days. 
And if you snuck into the kingdom when you were 12 and don't have a date, I envy you. <clears throat> I, think, I think your advantage, not bearing around the scars that I bear, uh, having come to know Christ when I was 22. But that whole win thing, or W-H-E-N thing, um, um, I hope it's not a, it doesn't cause you to stumble. Don't let it. The other thing that you keep in mind here is that you, you don't need to use words that don't mean anything to a non-Christian audience. Words like redemption or atonement. Words that may mean a whole lot to you right now because you've come to know Jesus Christ and know that that blood spill was for you. It was a price paid for you. Those, those might be hugely wonderful concepts for you. But the word atonement, Folks, um, there's not many Christians that understand that word, much less non-Christians. So stay away from those words. But um, know that the, that the emphasis needs to land on what God did to bring you to the place where um, uh, you realize that my standing with him was based on what Christ did for me. How did he do that for you? Again, these percentages are just mine. Okay, they're not in the Bible. I'm just trying to give you some sense. But if you want to, you want to break down the uh, the the time frame. I would say put forty percent in that, and then the other fifty percent, the whole half of the time is spent on what my life has become now that I've met Christ. How has Jesus Christ changed me? Um, you know, for me, guys, I would tell you that things like um, values, perspectives, priorities, directives, goals. I, you know, I've told you this before. You've heard me say that uh, before I became a Christian, I had three goals in life. I wanted to make a lot of money. I wanted to climb very high in Procter & Gamble, and I wanted to buy a boat. Now, that was it. That's what I lived for. Money, success, and a boat. And I mean almost within days, maybe weeks, those things meant nothing to me. Um, nothing, that's, that's not overstated. But I mean, the, your whole perspective changes. Chris Luke, I don't know if you ever heard Chris Luke's testimony. But I mean, he has a wonderful testimony of how the Lord saved him in college at the University of Tennessee. Um, I mean, everybody up there is really Christian, is really a Christian. Um, that's just a joke. But um, um, one of the things that happened with him is um, he was having back-to-back panic attacks to the point where he thought he was dying. And they went away almost immediately. Um, coming to know Jesus Christ saved my marriage. I mean, I'm not talking, I mean, it, it, my marriage was, I mean, that may be one of the things that happened that um, as a result of you coming to know Jesus Christ, it saved my marriage. Or um, for I could finally look myself in the mirror because I knew that I was forgiven. I had lived with shame so long I had lived with guilt so long that I didn't even want to consider what I had done. But now as a Christian, I can be honest about my sin. I can be honest that, that, that I'm, because I'm forgiven. How has Jesus Christ changed you as a result? So, um, I'm going to talk about what my life was before I met Christ. I'm going to talk about how it was that he brought me to himself. And then I'm going to tell you how he changed my life. And, and, and give you some evidences or some, some input as to um, the practical differences in my character that God has made uh, by his grace. 
Let me, let me state that just backwards or a little bit in a, in a different way. In what way would you be a fundamentally different person had God not brought you to himself? Um, that's, what we, that's what we need to hear about um, the things that God has done, the changes that God has wrought as a result of you becoming a Christian. You know, ladies and gentlemen, um, I, I started by pointing you towards John 9. Um, you know, the blind, blind guy said, you know, listen, I can't answer all your questions. But this much I know. I used to be blind, but now I see. Ladies and gentlemen, the one thing for which the world has no, no explanation is your changed life. They might want to argue about inspiration and they might want to argue about uh, uh, doctrine, but they can't explain that you've got a whole... You know, um, I've said this before, and uh, my wife has probably heard it 150 times, but it was as if we were headed down one... The, the, the text that was preached the night that we became Christians is Matthew chapter 7 about the broad road that leads to destruction and the narrow road that leads to life and few there be defined. And, and it was as if I realized that I was on that broad road headed fast to destruction and God knocked me down, picked me up, brushed me off and turned me around in another direction and life has been slowly changing ever since. Um, I'll add one other thing that I think that ought to go in... in, in in under this third point, um, in what ways are you presently serving him? In what ways uh, are you being useful to the kingdom now that he has brought you to himself? How has he equipped you? What, what things is he using out of you now that he's brought you to himself? What return on his investment is now flowing out of your life as a result of coming to know Christ. So I want people to know. I want people to know the, the differences that he has made. I want him to know, I want them to know how I met him and a little bit of and in that order. What I was before I met without any emphasis on how wicked I was. Um, I, I want them to know. I, I want them to know how I came to realize that all of my, my strategies to save myself have failed. And that the only thing that could sustain a soul was the finished work of Christ. And then I want them to know how it's changed me. Ladies and gentlemen, a testimony is not just some good word for Jesus. I mean, speak a good word for Jesus, that's great. But a testimony is telling people about a changed life that has been wrought through saving grace. So... Divide it up into those three points, and you got yourself something. And, and by the way, um, this was an idea that was given to me, and I, I'm, I'm going to give her all the credit. Actually, I told her I wasn't. I told her that I was going to uh, take it myself. So I will. This was my idea. Uh, it really wasn't. But um, guys, if after this little two-week project, you have a testimony that you would like to share, I'd like to know that. Let me tell you what we're trying to put together. Is Randy, I think Randy's in a meeting. Um, we're trying to do these little brief three-minute vignettes, and we're calling them grace works. They're going to be videos. Um, and what we want to do is periodically flash up a grace work in the Sunday morning worship service. Be one of those. 
Um, we want our, our, our congregation to know, well, this has happened to me, and this has happened to me. We want that to circulate. We want people to know of what grace does and how it changes us. So if you've got one of those testimonies that you can probably get in three minutes on a, on, on a little, as I said, a little video thing, let me know. Come, I mean, I don't need to, well, yeah, I will need to go over it a little bit, but maybe, maybe Randy Carson's will. But we would love to feature your testimony on a Sunday morning. Uh, we're not going to do them every Sunday, but we're going to do them periodically. So hope this has been uh, profitable for you as you thought through your, your own saving experience. Let's quit. Heavenly Father, um, we are um, debtors to grace. We, we have nothing, there is nothing in our hands that we bring. It is simply to your cross that we cling. We got nothing to offer you except our sin. But what you have provided for our sin is a great Savior. And you, in our lives, opened our eyes to see our need for him. Thank you, O oh God. And, and for the children, your sons and daughters this evening who struggle with this assurance thing. I pray that you'll use this little bit of input to help them get beyond that struggle so that they can be more confident about what they're talking about with other people. Might, um, might that being settled loosen the tongues of, of our people um, so that we might become more intentional about reaching others with with the thing that reached us, Christ and him crucified. And we pray, of course, in his name. Amen. Thanks, guys, and good night.